Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How you doing, Internet? It is February 20th, 2017, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio. I am not Austin Walker. You already figured that out. He's on vacation. He's taking a, a much-needed rest from... Uh, all of the things that we do at Waypoint. We knocked him out and then just kicked him out the door. <laughs> just like, get out of here, Basically, Austin. had to tie him and just sort of like, just, you know, make him take vacation. Because he's he's a hardworking dude. He's a hardworking he man, that that Austin Walker. So, I'm Danielle Riando. I am joined here today, as always, by Patrick Klepik. Hello. Hello. And today we have a very special guest. We have the most special of guests. It is Joel Fowler, Waypoint's publisher. A.K.A. also... Not Austin. Also not Austin. <laughs> he's just not here. Yeah, man, like, yeah, he's not yeah here. every person has to clarify, are you Austin Walker? <laughs> are you Austin? Well, because, you know, Austin usually does this intro, so, you know, I got I to gotta definitely make it clear. Because people, you know, they hear my voice, they hear Austin's voice, they don't know. You what know, you got to really clarify. Uh, well, I'm very excited. It's Monday. It's President's Day. That's exciting. Happy President's Day, if you get it off, uh, friends. And if you don't, I'm sorry, but hopefully we can bring some sunshine into your life. I have been playing and mostly watching my girlfriend play a a very cool game uh, that I am surprisingly into, did not think I would be. And that game is Horizon Zero Dawn, and it's out on the 28th, I think just about a week from today or a week and a day. I know you've also been playing it, Patrick, so... Do you want to tell me a little bit of your thoughts on uh, what you're digging and not digging so far? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say this about Horizon. I was uh, deep and uh, loving Neo, um, as as, yeah. as Joel and I, uh, Souls fans, uh, can attest. <laughs> once you get a little bit of the Souls, you want all the Souls. And uh, <laughs> Horizon has completely knocked it off for, for me. I have just been spending oh, all wow. of my time... Uh, the, the spare time that I do have uh, playing Horizon, which I will not call Zero Dawn because it is a bad subtitle, and so I'm going to call it Horizon, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is a totally fine and interesting name for a yeah. because Zero Dawn doesn't mean anything. It, mm, well, mm. it it sort of does, but it, it doesn't mean anything outside of the no. game. No. Yeah, okay. So it's like... <sighs> no Dawns. Uh, whatever. So horizon uh, no, no dawns, dawns. <laughs> no dawn, and I think the uh, the thing that you and I uh, Dan, uh, it timed with this podcast uh, also uh, even though we'll have the day uh, we are not working on Monday we will have a a letter series that will be going up yes. um, probably in a two part because uh, me you Austin and Mike are all playing uh, the game yeah. so uh, it'll probably get spread throughout the week but uh, the thing that uh, has captured me. Um, especially uh, in the early hours, uh, is just been the world. Uh, it's been yeah. the the mythology they're setting up, the the space that you're in. Um, you know, you I was uh, immediately captured by the original trailers and announcement of this game because robot dinosaurs, like, ha ha, yeah. you got me, game. <laughs> like, 
the rest of this could be junk, and I'm you've you've already got me on your on your basic premise. And you know, I I don't tend to sort of keep up with every trailer that comes out for a game. I try to maintain some element of surprise as much as I can, given that it's my job to sort of yeah. keep up with yeah. things. Um, but I don't know if this was in the marketing for the game and I didn't notice it, or it was something they were keeping uh, sort of uh, contained away. But I, I'm just. Uh, taken um, by this world that has like a lot of religion in it, um, has uh, some really interesting social hierarchies that have women at the top. Um, yeah. There are a lot of people of color uh, in this game. Uh, it's just, it's, it sets up a really fascinating world that invites a lot of questions uh, that I am curious to find the answers for or to fill in the gaps on my own. I just, I, I'm shocked that for a, uh, a series that this uh, studio worked on before called Kill Zone. Like they worked on a series <laughs> yeah. called Kill Zone <laughs> that had like yeah. very little narrative depth. I didn't play the last one, so excuse me if somehow they found a way to tell a super interesting story um, in, in the in the last Kill Zone game that they made. A series called Kill Zone. They killed the zone. They killed the zone. Things change when you become woke, and it sounds like the new game. Is, is well, I don't know if they brought on writer whatever whatever happened whatever they did uh, they they have yeah. built a really fascinating world that I want to be in and it's as 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 much as I'm enjoying traversing and climbing and and fighting yeah. robot dinosaurs I still find at least in the early uh, like the first ten hours or so that I'm playing I find myself captured by the world they've built and me wanting to know more about the the present world. I actually, well, I'm curious, and I'm curious how you feel about this, uh, Danielle. Yeah. I'm far more interested in the world I'm in than what the game seems to want me to learn answers about, which is the world that was before whatever techno apocalypse resulted in this this mixture of tribal society and technology that I'm that that it's left itself. In. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's it's a uh, it's. A really fascinating and rich world, like you're saying, and you know, it's it's never as satisfying to find out exactly what happened to something. And this is like a post post apocalypse. It's like, yeah, the apocalypse happened in them, but still there are humans, and then there's also these obviously all these machines and that sort of thing. Uh, I am experiencing this game mostly by watching my girlfriend play it, which is a pretty awesome way, I think, actually, to uh, experience this game because the world is so interesting and rich and and fun, and I can kind of, you know, take the controller every now and then, obviously, when she's like, all right, I need to go do a thing, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go screw around and play around and sort of, you know, uh, poke around and fight dinosaurs for a little while, that sort of thing. Uh, I was immediately drawn in by the intro, even, uh, because I was actually quite worried about this game. I, uh, we, Austin and I actually did a, a little stream a couple of weeks ago where we looked at, like, a couple of hours of the gameplay, basically. And it seemed really self-serious, and it seemed really open-world fatigue-y, if that's a term. You know, I just totally. made it up. Made I, it. I made it a term, fatigue It seemed like a very, you know, far cry with a totally different uh vibe to it basically and I was I was worried going in because I thought hey if this is a game about robot dinosaurs being self-serious is going to suck like that is not the vibe I think of when I think robot dinosaurs uh, and then of course obviously I was worried about oh you're gonna have to just do a lot of collect-a-thon type stuff to uh, to get anywhere in the game so when the intro started and it's like this really incredibly tender and heartfelt uh, sort of uh, experience between Rost 
who is sort of your your father, especially at the you know at the beginning of the game. He's he's sort of a guy who's an outcast who also takes you in. You're this little girl who is an outcast because you find out all the stuff later. Uh, but he's he's so tender and he's so loving and he and he and he does this ceremony that's like sort of forbidden to outsiders to to give her a name. And there's one of the matriarchs who comes in and, and sort of blesses you for doing this. And I felt like very like, oh man, right there, like this is. This is this sort of, you know, this universe that could have been super goofy, and I thought I wanted it to be very goofy because of, of the robot dinosaur thing, but actually it's like, no, this is, I care about these people. Like, immediately, even though it was kind of a lore dump, it was, like, beautiful and heartfelt and, and quite well done, I thought. Uh, and, and all of the writing has been way above par for what I thought it would be uh, in terms of, of the characterizations and the, the sort of the flavor of this world and the fact that, oh yeah, there's mysteries in the past and I, I hope I don't learn too much about them, but I'm really enjoying sort of poking around and finding out how the world works. Basically. What do you guys think of the mechanics so far? Because I played a clunkier demo where okay. you were riding a horse and I just, I feel like I don't know, you probably know better than I do, but are there any really great horse mechanics out there <laughs> because I mean, they, the witcher is all right which has got some pretty good horses best, but it's got some it's got rich. zelda's usually and, got some pretty good know. horses yeah yeah zelda horse is good yeah. the witcher horse the same as the red dead horse i often run into trees right Sky, skyrim <laughs> horse is great because the skyrim horse will go wherever you want him to go like oh, off God. cliffs oh, the, yeah the sky yeah the skyrim, oh, the skyrim horse especially off cliffs yeah it gives no fucks <laughs> But yeah. I, I did like the mechanics. You know, yeah. I, it, I found myself circling whatever the battle I was doing yeah. was. You know, you kind of it, it's kind of encourages you to run around and like strafe as you're shooting yeah. and tethering. But you know, that was one quick level in there. Like you're done. I've liked it so far, and again, I, I have played less than I have sort of experienced watching secondhand. But I've loved how Tomb Raider inspired it feels, with especially with all the climbing, with all the sort of running around and jumping, the traversal stuff. It feels more Tomb Raider than Far Cry to me in terms of the way it controls and the way it feels. And that was also a very good thing because the most recent Tomb Raider game was on my Games of the Year list last year. I love that game. I think it's very tight and very well designed. How about you, Patrick? How do you feel about the game mechanically speaking thus far? I wish it had a lock-on, um, sure. which, which it doesn't um, because the way the combat works is um, you're off in these big open fields and they, they, they the dynamics they set up for – the creatures that you're encountering are a lot of really small ones who are fast and then 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 a big one that you're kind of slowly trying to take down and you're setting up traps throughout the world and you're you're uh you you know like you pull back your bow and then if you click the right stick you can briefly slow down time because they're encouraging you to hit certain weak spots like so if you take a fire arrow and shoot it at like someone's gas canister on their back you can cause that to explode and, and it can not only do a bunch of damage to that that individual creature but then it might be able to hit uh, a bunch of creatures uh, around you and I, I just find a, a lot of the time and maybe this is the the, the souls in me uh, speaking but that like especially when I'm dealing with like one big creature I just find it difficult to get out of the way and to wrangle the camera in the way that I want when if I could just have it locked on to the creature in front of me I have a better time kind of sort of like setting uh, that up but uh, generally speaking I like the with their you know the the basic premise they have the dynamics they have in combat where you're setting traps up that can explode um, and uh paralyze certain creatures you're you're looking for these weak points you're dealing with smaller enemies you're you're scanning uh them you can also uh corrupt uh different uh, creatures which means if you're hiding uh in the shadows or, or in some tall brush um and you get up to them before 
uh, they recognize you, you can actually convert them to your side. So, for example, they have these uh, robots that are based on essentially saber-toothed tigers, and they are just freaking brutal. Like, they are really, really difficult to take down. And fighting one of them is tough enough, but I uh, this morning encountered uh, two of them at once, and I tried to take them both on, and it just, I mean, wrecked, like utterly destroyed within <laughs> within seconds. But uh, on, a, on my second approach, I, I hid. I was patient. Um, you can scan enemies and then uh, see the, the, the trails they're going to walk. So rather than the AI patterns that you would have to kind of figure out in your head, you can actually see where they're going to go. So you can set up ambushes. You can set up traps uh, where they're going. And I set myself up behind a rock waited for one of the saber-tooths to come around, uh, corrupted them, then uh, then shot an arrow at the other saber-tooth, which then triggered them to start fighting. And so while the two of them were fighting, I was able to shoot fire arrows in the weak spots of uh, this one saber-tooth, and then he exploded. I collected the loot off of him, and then I ran away while that other saber-tooth was corrupted and confused. And that was like a really fun, <laughs> interesting That's way awesome. to to deal with that fight. Um, as long, you know, you can just shoot your arrows, but I think the game really encourages you to try and take advantage of all the stuff that you have uh, at your disposal. And on the demo, there were a lot of different arrows and bows to select from. Are you finding it, like, feels pretty smooth as you're running into Yeah, it's it's not, it's not super overwhelming. Yeah. Like, the game slows down when you're switching weapons, so it gives you a second to sort of... You know, scan an enemy if you've forgotten what their weak point is or what their what element they're weak to. Uh, so all that stuff makes uh, the combat, at least you know, the, the eight to ten hours that I've played, like pretty interesting. And I'm, you know, they have like variants on all the uh, all the creatures you come across, where there are, are regular robots and there are corrupted robots, and the corrupted robots have different uh, sort of weaknesses. So yeah, so far I'm really enjoying. It. And like you, Danielle, I'm a huge fan of the the rebooted Tomb Raider games. Yeah. So like the fact that uh, a year ago I got to play Rise of the Tomb Raider, a game I really, really enjoyed, and then thought, well, it's going to be another two or three years before I get another one of those. And it's like, nope, like Horizon Zero Dawn is basically is. another Tomb Raider game set yeah. in, in a very unique, interesting setting uh, with uh, just a, a whole different set of combat uh, options. And so I'm I, I'm really enjoying the game so far. I, I worry about where the lore and story are going, but I'm uh, I'm not overwhelmed by the collectible stuff. I don't think they they super overwhelm me with it. I mean, one of the ways they set up the collectibles is that they're not they don't do anything for you unless you collect a set of them. So for example, you can find like these they call them ancient vessels because they don't they you don't know that like they're cups and stuff like that. Like um or <laughs> yeah. like it, the the like the uh the ancient jewelry you can find in the game are watches, but like no one knows what a watch is. And so you can <laughs> you can find these collectibles, but they don't mean anything unless you get the whole set, and that usually means anywhere between five to fifteen. So it's like if you look at that and go, I don't want to touch that, then just ignore it and don't don't worry about it because the game has enough for you to do without delving into all the collectible stuff. Yeah, so yeah. this was my first E3 ever this last oh, year. Oh, cool. All right. And this was the trailer that stood out to me. Sure. And, and yeah. the last game I followed from, like, seeing the first trailer to, you know, just like like you were saying, Patrick, like, actually followed everything they released was The Division, okay. which I was ultimately disappointed with. Sure. Um, so I'm really happy, and I've had to, like, log out of our Discord chat because you guys are... <laughs> all three of you, you logged out. All three of you are playing this. 
and you're like, oh my god, this area, what do I do here? And 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 yeah. Austin's talking about a lot of the peaks and valleys he's experiencing, sure. and I'm just like, no, 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 you know. Like, I need to go in, you know. You could you could do the marketing materials, but then not the not the actual heavy chat here. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. This will be I I have I didn't play the rebooted Tomb Raiders. Um, you should. I definitely will. Yeah, I'll put that on the, the list. At least the most recent one, uh, for in terms of you know gameplay, is it's pretty. The story itself, it, it's it's funny. That's the area where the where Rise of the Tomb Raider I thought was somewhat lacking because the story was a little bit nonsensical. And here it's like, oh, this is this is like a really cool world and potentially a really cool story, but with a lot of these mechanics. So well, and, and even yeah. if the the lore and the answers to like why did the world become this way, even if that stuff. Yeah doesn't pan out um the game has already successfully established like a lot of really interesting characters and societal dynamics that i find fascinating and i'm interested to learn more about so i'm not so worried like a lot of games or a lot of stories this happens for you know mythology building and in all sorts of media this is an exclusive video games like if the the only thing that's going to make it satisfying is the answer to that big question and the big question horizon is like, how did the world become this way? Like, they're, they're, you know, it's not like you get a cinematic at the beginning that's like, and here's how the world became this way. Like, it's clearly a, it's clearly a core answer that you're going to get some form of during during the course of the game. Uh, if that's all you have, then if that doesn't work out, then it's a core failing of the storytelling because they didn't have a great answer for that one thing. But Horizon has already dodged that bullet because even if that doesn't pan out, I care about so many other things that it it won't it won't you know it won't retroactively taint the experience because I'm having fun going on side quests and learning about these different dynamics between outcasts and the different tribes um, and how uh, you know women you know fit into that hierarchy um, yeah. that. That that's interesting enough for me, regardless of how the rest pans out. Yeah, it would need to be a like Battlestar Galactica finale level of of retconning of its own sort of uh, <laughs> of, of itself to be. Well, we can talk about that later. To me, I, it's it's like the one thing I feel that way about. Otherwise, I'm always I'm always on board with like, no, you know what? I was there for the characters, but man, all right. What that. That aside, I'm really excited for you, Joel. The, the re- one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today is because we're celebrating. We're celebrating a victory in Joel's life. Joel beat Dark Souls 3. Yeah, speaking of big Yay. questions. I, <laughs> speaking yeah, of big I'm questions. So an accomplishment. I'm That's, that, is not, that is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. And you were talking about Souls. Like, you were like, you get it, Joel. You know, we're going to jump you back into it. this Souls-like game. But I... I expressed probably the, a giant sigh of relief um, for myself as well as my fiance for not having <laughs> to hear this blood curdle because it would inevitably be the character's blood curdle mm-hmm. and then my blood curdle for, for losing After, 70 yeah. plus you, thousand souls. You lost 78,000 souls at one point, you told me? That was that was one of the rougher ones? That was one of the rougher ones. That was at the in the archives in the very end. Oh. Um when you're hopping down, it was it was so dumb because it wasn't even to an enemy. It was just like hopping down to a pillar. Oh no! Because um, you can kind of platform down the level to get yeah. this like power up and bow and stuff. But I I don't know. It was I don't know what your experience with Dark Souls is so much, Patrick. But is like is the it's pain part much. of what you appreciate? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. And well, um, 
I mean, there are two ways of looking at it. Uh, I, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I necessarily say I'm a masochist, but what I appreciate is climbing the mountain. Like the feeling yeah. you had, like you're talking about when you have finished the game, like you feel like this weight come off you, like the process of getting that weight off you, I find to be deeply satisfying um, in a way that I don't get out of most other games. Like I get other things out of different games, but there is something very specific about the soul style games in which you have something just formidable in front of you and you chip away at it and you chip away at it. And when you get to that other side, like it's, I found that profoundly satisfying. It feels like an achievement. Like it's very, it's, it's rare when I finish a game and I go like when I finish horizon, like I hope I like the story. I hope I like the characters, but like, it won't feel like an achievement when I finished yeah. it. Like, like you did something you weren't supposed to do. Like finishing a marathon or something. Yeah. I, I, I wish more people played the Souls games, but I understand that they're not for a lot of people. And I get a satisfaction over the fact that I did something a lot of other people can't or won't do. Like there is some – it's not that I, 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 I like to be elitist about it, but there is satisfaction in like I did a tough thing that other people said that's too much for me. And like that feels cool. Like that feels – like an accomplishment to to do that, and so that's the satisfaction I get out of those games that keeps me coming back. Is like, okay, here's a new mountain, like time to scale it. Yeah, my goal was to finish that before Horizon, so I'm stoked about that. Nice. I'll Just probably go back. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. can do some of the other areas there's one area i didn't do the i think and dragon peak yep so good luck uh, good luck with the hardest boss in the game <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you know it was it was just such a fun experience but i also like weirdly when you i don't get to play video games that often as often as i would like i have like two or three nights a week that yeah. i can play for a couple hours and i would often like pick dark souls kind of with hesitance you know what i mean sure. like here You're we going go. into yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Like, you have to steal yourself. Yeah, it's like, I can play yeah. Rocket League and have a good time, or I, you know, let me chip away at the Twin Princes or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I haven't got that same sense of relief and accomplishment from a video game. And it's not just at the very end. At the very end, it was super relieving. It was like, thank God I don't have to put myself to this. <laughs> Um, for for a while, yeah. But even when you beat a boss that was really really challenging, like you got those like breaks along the way where you're like, you know what, like it's okay, I know what to do, and then you go into the next area and just inevitably get crushed immediately. But sure, um, my little dexterity character made it through, and uh, I'll definitely explore the uh, DLC stuff. I think after I've had a yeah. Take a break. Rest. First, it, like I, I seriously think of finishing these games as like finishing a marathon or something, like a, like a, a brutal physical achievement almost in certain ways. So it's like have your banana, put on your little space blanket, you know, walk around, walk around feeling proud for a while, and then you can go back for more, more torture. You know, I am very proud of you though. That is that is super rad and very exciting. And uh, I think with that, it's we should take a little dip into the question bucket, a little. 
little dipsy. So, uh, you know, Joel, is uh, is there a number that's like on your mind? Like, do you have a number just imagined in there somewhere? I was trying to think of how many times I died in Dark Souls, but I don't know if we have that <laughs> yeah. questions. We, it's like, uh, we have like a hundred and, uh, let's see. How many How many hours did it take you to finish the game? Yeah, that's a good oh, one. That's a good 72. One. Okay. Oh, perfect. 72 is a number near and dear to all of our hearts, I feel like. It's, oh, yeah. It's a special number for it's us. It's a good waypoint number. All right, I'm, I'm scrolling up for 72. Okay, uh, 72 comes from uh, Rhodes. Thank you for having a cool name uh, that makes me think of my home state of Rhode Island. Good place. Good coffee milk. Hello, Danielle, Patrick, and Austin. I'm adding you in there. And Joel. Editorial done. My friends and I have started a conversational video game podcast, and I struggle with having meaningful things to say. The show is still finding its groove, but I'm often baffled at some of the stuff that comes out of my mouth when I'm trying to say things other than it's good, it's interesting, or it feels good. I want to describe the aspects I like rather than call it a positive experience. We're inspired by Waypoint's why we play motif, but it's weirdly difficult to understand why we feel a certain way. For me, our show actually ends up helping me understand why I feel the way I do because I'm forced to talk about it. It's usually a long, rambling journey to get there. I'd like to be more prepared going in. I guess my question is, do you ever feel silly after things you say on a podcast? As a fan of your site and your show... I, uh, I never think you're being unreasonable or thoughtless, even if I disagree. Do you have any tips for talking about games without being reductive, or is this something that just comes with time? Rhodes. That is a question for you two. <laughs> I often, not often at this point, thank, thank God, uh, but especially when I was first doing this, I felt really stupid and silly a lot of the time based on things I said and would like kind of kick myself for a while. I'd be like, oh my God. Why did I say that? Not not about something that was, like, offensive or, like... I would just be, like, I sounded like an idiot there for a while. Like, I definitely... Um, and I still certainly ramble, and I still certainly have times where uh, my thoughts are not crystallized to the point where I want them to be by the time I'm sitting here in this chair talking about the thing that I want to talk about. So it's it's... I think it is sort of a constant... Uh, improvement process no matter where you are on this on this journey unless you're like a podcast black belt and then at that point i'm sure you're you know pretty happy with your life but it is it is challenging um and honestly the more prep you do helps as with most things in life like if you actually think about what you want to talk about if you actually you know kind of take a second before you do the show uh we always do notes we have sort of show notes where we talk just a tiny little bit about like okay we can talk about x y and z today this will be you know the thing that we do i find that very helpful uh, but but don't worry. That's that's how we all start. We all start off uh, hating our voices and feeling a little weird. I think uh, sort of as we go through the process. Uh, I would say yeah. Obviously, you know, for the expertise comes with time. Finding your voice, finding ways to articulate uh, what you have to say. One thing uh, that I find very useful um, is often I use I, I consider a podcast to be a rough draft for my thoughts rather than mm-hmm. like worrying too much about. Like whether I got it out perfectly, um, and what something I find useful, and you'll notice a pattern sometimes with my work, uh, is that like something will come up that I'll say during the podcast, and I'll think, well, that's kind of interesting. Like I wonder if I can explore that further, and then that will become a piece that I write. And right. so, if you yeah. are someone that have found that your expertise uh, is in writing, and you're having trouble translating that to a podcast, take like an idea, something you said on the podcast, and then try and extrapolate that and and break it down even further and get more nuanced in a written form. And I think you'll find like, oh, okay, like here's a deeper version of this that I wasn't able to articulate on the spot on a podcast. 
But, you know, and then once you've gotten that down in the the written word, you'll be able to start filtering that stuff into your thought process when you're speaking on a a podcast. And so you can maybe use other forms uh, of expressing yourself to help you understand the ways of expressing yourself in podcast form. I thought it was interesting he asked about the words used Mm -hmm. um, to describe stuff and trying not to describe something in the same way. Because I think in every media uh, medium, like my background is in music, right? Especially electronic music. And there's only so many times you could say like this pulsing bass line or this one, you know what I mean? And it's like, there's words that you just have to cut out. And I know I've heard you guys on the podcast say several times where you're like, we're no longer going to say this control scheme is this, or we're no longer going to say this game, like gives you this feeling. Sure. Um, Like you've just, there's washed words. words, Yeah. There's washed words. (laughs) Yeah. And, I, and I think with everything that you're talking about, or like it, whether it's music, whether it's gaming or whatever, you're going to have to practice to find better ways to describe or, or make draw comparisons that are outside of that um, realm. And that's like usually the best way, especially with electronic music, when you can make a comparison that has nothing to do with electronic music, but it describes that EP or artist uh, body of work perfectly. Yeah, um, or a feeling or a, you know, sort of getting at the the core of an idea because it's very easy to to get distracted on your way to the core of an idea. I was I was sort of like visualized sometimes when I'm trying to find a thought. So I'm, I'm like a little spaceship in like a, a nebula or something. It's very Star Trek, I know, a nerd. Uh, but I seriously like picture myself as like, all right, I'm sort of I'm like searching for that core. I can't get distracted in the in the rest of the cool star stuff going on. You know, it happens. Tim's like nodding his head. Tim's as like, as yeah, that, that makes that. sense. <laughs> like, thank you, yeah, Tim, for making Star Trek me feel brain. a lot got better. It. Yeah, exactly. Totally got it. Uh, Patrick, do you want to give me a number and we can get probably one more question out of the bucket here? Mm-hmm. Looking around. <laughs> Whatever inspires you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clearly Star Trek inspires me. Here we go. 22. 22. All right. Early, early bucket. Early-ish bucket, at least. All right. This one is from Sam in Chicago. What's up, Sam? Shut down. How you doing, Sam? I was talking with a friend about Grand Theft Auto V recently, and he mentioned Grand Theft Auto Online. I was amazed that I was that it was still going, so I looked it up and found that as recently as last February, it had 8 million players a week and was making Rockstar a huge amount of money. This made me wonder, why does no one talk about GTA Online? I follow gaming news fairly closely and rarely read anything about it. I've also noticed that single-player GTA V, despite being hugely popular and well-reviewed, is not referenced or discussed the way previous entries in this series have been. I feel like more people are still talking about GTA IV than V. I don't know if this is because I'm getting older or my move towards PC and away from consoles in recent years, but GTA V doesn't feel like it made the same cultural impact that previous Rockstar games had. With that, I will, I will say, I, I, I know that Patricia Hernandez over at Kotaku does do reporting on sort of wild multiplayer stuff that happens in that game with some frequency for sure uh but they they do things a little differently there obviously at Kotaku there are beats and that's sort of one of the games that uh, does get reported on with some regularity but you're right and I think in general outside of that games press uh this is something we're trying to correct but games press does tend uh towards the the future the previews the what's coming up the the what's next that sort of thing uh but again that's why we try to do a lot of retrospectives here we do try to sort of talk about games that made us that's like sort of one of our features at the site are are games that meant a lot to us or had some kind of impact or were interesting Uh, in terms of five other than four i think four was such a revelation because wasn't that the first 
it was I think it was one of the first open world games that felt like it was next gen in certain ways. It was it was a 2008 game. It wasn't on the 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 current generation of systems, but uh this is very subjective, but I felt like there was a massive difference between the sort of the scope and the scale and the fidelity of San Andreas versus 4. I don't know, sorry, versus um sorry. San Andreas versus 4 and the it. scope between four and five, if that makes sense. But I don't know if that's just like a completely a personal perception or I don't no, know. I, I, no, I, th- I, th- I think that's, I think you're absolutely right. I think the, uh, it depends how you look at it. Like, I think like four, GTA four had such a giant sort of cultural impact on what we thought of, uh, as, as open world games and like the kind of main character they had. There were a lot of reasons. Also the story, yeah. the, the story of GTA four was better than GTA five. Yeah. Uh, and, and by, a a country mile, uh, in, in my opinion. Um, yep. uh, but, you know, GTA Five, like, yes, it may not be, I guess, referenced in the way he's speaking of, but it's a game that continues to make tens of millions of dollars for Take-Two Interactive. Like, if you look at uh, their financials, like, GTA Online is doing enormous business. You may not hear about it as much. It may not get talked about, um, but it is absolutely an, a huge game that continues to sell at, at, at an enormous pace. And so uh, do people talk about with more reverence for GTA 4? Probably. Is GTA 5 a more important game for a lot of different reasons? Probably. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, that's just, you know, it's just an, a case in which like the the way that games writers talk about a game is not necessarily indicative of like the actual impact that game is happening, uh, having, you know, I mean, you can, you, there are games that are being played uh, on Twitch all the time that you don't see any write-ups for uh, in, uh, uh, in the, in the quote unquote games press, or uh, um, it's just kind of, kind of different with te- what players are doing is not necessarily one-to-one with what the games press is talking about. Absolutely. On any given week, Look at Minecraft on Twitch, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But if you look at coverage, again, very tied to this product cycle. And uh, I think that's something that you, like, as an editorial staff, have done really well. It's like Patrick is mixing reporting on a game that came out 10 years ago that's about to shut down. Yeah. Um, And then his thoughts on Horizon. So, yeah, I think we're... I think as games media is pretty locked into what's coming next because that means new content. That's a new trailer and and yeah. get traffic, pay the bills. Sure, so. yeah. Um, but yeah, if you talk to anyone from Rockstar, they're very excited about what they're releasing in GTA Five. And have you tried the new heist? And uh, I think that game for me suffered a awkward release in between console generations, sure, right? Because sure. I got really into it um, and then was supposed to just wait and rebuy it and transfer everything A over. year later, basically. Yeah. Yeah, almost, uh, with a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh <sighs> It's it's a little it's a little weird because I actually think GTA Online is is super fascinating in in terms of watching it as opposed to playing it. Like this is this is how I get some you know, obviously some of the games that I experience are are from watching it. There's a lot of fascinating videos. There's a lot of fascinating weird cultural things going on. I, I read a piece recently that was about uh, you know somebody who we we ran a piece sorry recently about someone who was money dropping, who was, you know, sort of like gifting people with tons and tons of money in the game. And it was like this phenomenon, like it was like a secret club, like, oh, if you show up on the beach at this hour, I'm going <laughs> to drop millions of dollars on people and like a select club can come in. And I and I just love what players do. 
in these in these like sort of larger games where it's like you can find ways to make this game entirely your own and kind of play your own games inside of this world. And I find that I've always found that really really cool and fascinating and uh, always something that's fun to watch as well, uh, even if you're not playing it yourself, basically. So we probably we're not getting kicked out yet. So I'm going to take one more question from the bucket. Okay. One more one more bucket question. Hey Tim, do you have, do you have a number? Uh, uh, it's like one to one thirty, basically. Okay. Minus 72. Well, I'll, I'll cut those out because, you know, we did these. I lost you. <laughs> what? 1 to 130. Minus 72. <laughs> minus, uh, minus 72. Okay. Yeah. 40? 40. All right, cool. This is not a long one. <clears throat> this is from Naveen in Toronto. Naveen writes, Your recent discussion about Red Dead Redemption, Undead Nightmare, a lot of words there, has got me thinking about DLC as an excuse to revisit old games. With the recent trend of old PC games getting new levels and missions many years after the fact, uh, see Quake and Duke Nukem 3D, it seems like uh, the time is right for older console games to get fresh DLC that mixes classic gameplay with the lessons of modern game design. I mean, how cool would it be to get a new set of missions for Battlefield Bad Company or a standalone set uh, story set in the Bully universe? Anyway, setting aside business deals, licensing, and any other red tape, what games from the last gen would you like to see get the DLC treatment, and what would that mm. DLC be? Cheers, mm. Naveen. I'm just here to talk about Conquers. Well, what about Conquer DLC? Oof, what would you know? that be? So Joel wrote an awesome piece. Uh, we all wrote love letters to games uh, last week when it was Valentine's Day, and Joel's was about Conquer's Bad Fur Day, a, a game that I also truly loved. Thought it was uh, underrated in a lot of ways, even though the the potty humor maybe doesn't a hundred percent work. Hold uh, up, oh, yeah. yeah, maybe doesn't a hundred percent hold up. But the design of that game uh, is is awesome and rad. What would Conquer DLC look like in twenty seventeen? Do you think, or or like what you would you would love to see Conquer do? I think so. They they nailed a bunch of the multiplayer archetypes. Yeah. Um, maybe like if you mixed. Conquer with 1080, that would be sick. Oh my god, yeah. Like a teddy bear with a sword <laughs> doing a... I just almost said an ollie, but that's not a snowboarder. You know, term. I knew what you A meant. mute grab. I know that's... <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Doing a mute grab. Mute grab. That Patrick's face. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Patrick, how about you? Is there is there a, an older game that you think would be uh, really nice to you know, play some cool DLC in, in your dream world? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know... The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask is is one of my favorite oh. games of all time, oh, yeah. and it's yes. it's a world that I yes. d- desperately wish Nintendo would revisit. I feel like there are uh, everything about the characters and 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 that whole specific uh, slice of of Zelda history is something that I was it was a, a real treat to revisit it when they did the 3ds um, update, um, yeah. and I've. I, I've always just wished at some point they'd get desperate enough or run out of enough ideas. They're like, ah, let's just do another one of those and go back to Majora's yes. Mask. Um, I'm, and so, yeah, that's if I could could get DLC, if I could get a, anything in the world of Majora's Mask, I, I would take it. So nice. That's what I'm playing through on the 3DS now. Oh, perfect. For the first time. Oh, that's such a treat. It's my favorite Zelda game. Well, it interchanges occasionally with Wind Waker. I love them both. All so of you. Know. I was like, what should I get on 3DS? And yeah. I think all three of you were like, we were like Majora's Mask. Mask. Um, and that, within 10 minutes, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. It's, but yeah it's, it's super awesome. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, if I could choose, I'll stick with the N64 scheme here, uh, which works. Uh, if I could get some DLC, some new levels for Mario 64, that would be... 
Mm. That would be really, really fun. With the same mechanics, you know, the same sort of really rich and awesome moveset that Mario has in that game, but with maybe, like, a little nicer camera, <laughs> potentially, okay. and, uh, you know, just just go whole hog. Like, some of that really, really great sort of tight and interesting platforming that was close to perfected in that game. That would be amazing. Let's let's make that happen, Nintendo. How, what do you say? For all of these, well, rare, you know. Whatever, they can get back in bed, it'll be fine. I think, well, you figured out how we could all play Conker's here, so we should yeah. do that Oh, soon. yeah, we should definitely do that. We're Conker stream coming up one of these days. It'll be great. Do you like the newer Mario Kart games with the glider? Love them, okay. yeah. Although I still think Diddy Kong Racing is uh, one of the best kart racing games of all time. But I guess that's a, that's a topic for another day. Most likely. We are actually getting kicked out now, so that's oh, a, that's a perfect time. Thank you so much, Joel, for being here. Really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? I am at Free Magic, perfect. and I don't have a Joel Ryder games oh, that's Facebook. Sorry, I don't, even, I don't even talk about that one anymore. So Free Magic on Twitter. Awesome. Patrick, thank you for being here. Where can you... Where can you find yourself? Man, I, I really wish I had. If I could find myself, I could answer a lot of other questions about myself. <laughs> but you can find me on Twitter at Patrick Lopez. Awesome. I'm on Twitter at Danielle R.I. And you can read all of our wonderful stuff. Watch and listen to all of our wonderful stuff at waypoint.vice.com, digitalpyramids.com, new.donk.city, bastion.fucks, I think works now. Bastionfucks.com. Bastionfucks.com. zone. Good, Bazinga.zone. Creamy Roll. Creamy Roll.com, something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, those are all good. And of course, uh, on Twitter, we're Waypoint. On Facebook, we're Waypoint Vice. On YouTube, we're Waypoint Vice. And thank you, as always, to Bowen for letting, uh, letting us use his track, Miss You, off the EP? It's not? It's an EP. Yes, EP. it's an EP. Pale Machine. Thank you so, so much to Tim Barnes, who is Tim Barnes 451 on Twitter, for producing this beautiful magic that we call a podcast. Thank you all. Be good to one another. We're going to see you again on Friday, and I'm going to say something that's not peace. I'm going to just say, don't hate. Celebrate. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 